Hello everyone, this will be my last Virgin episode I do until one month. Uh, it'll be a one month break, so September 30th, let me talk about religion again. So this is evilbible.com, fighting against immorality and religion. Top 10 list, top 10 signs you're a fundamentalist Christian. So this goes from 10 all the way to 1. They started with 10. You vigorously deny the existence of thousands of gods claimed by other religions, but feel outraged when someone denies the existence of yours. In other words, they love to condemn people to hell when it comes to their own religion. But when people of other religions condemn you to their hell, suddenly it's a problem. And also, in other words, it's okay for these fundamentalist Christians to be atheists when it comes to the gods of other religions. But when someone says, I'm an atheist to your God, suddenly, that type of atheism is threatening to them. They don't mind you being atheists as long as you believe in their God and not in the gods of other religions. So they try to quote unquote weaponize atheism for their warped advantage. And then They feel like you can't weaponize atheism like I can. You have to buy into conservative theology in order to non-believe in a polite society acceptable way number nine you feel insulted and quote unquote dehumanized when scientists say that people evolve from other life forms but you have no problem with biblical biblical claim that we were created from dirt. My thoughts on that are self-hatred is rampant in conservative religion. Because we're created from dirt
that's why they get so sad to the point of jumping in caskets with corpses in them because they believe that when we die, we become dirt again. You have a little bit of value because you're in a human body, but once you're, but once you are dead, then you become nothingness again. So when it comes to their ridiculous original sin doctrine, they always find something to feed their drug of choice called self-hatred. Because even with original sin, they still think of themselves as less than nothing. They think of themselves as nasty trash that does not even deserve to be in recycle bins. That is how profound their self-hatred is. And they'll make statements claiming that clearly show that they feel so unworthy to live life that they'll say, I'm a dirty, rotten, sinner And I'm too awful for God, but by the grace of God. So conservative religion teaches you to insult yourself and dehumanize your own full humanity. Conservative religion teaches you that you are death even though you are of existence. And conservative religion teaches you that no matter how cleaned up you get, because you were born a scumbag, no amount of cleanliness can ever make you free of dirt. So religion teaches people, the conservative religion teaches people to insult and dehumanize their memories, their bodies, their minds, their hearts, their inner lives. their missions, their goals, their aspirations, their inspirations, their dreams, and their purposes for living.
And lastly, before I go to number eight, I'll say that conservative religion teaches people to be animalistic towards themselves and others. Therefore, conservative religion teaches you to not be human to yourself and to not be human to others. In other words, conservative religion teaches you that you are a full animal because conservative religion is afraid of anyone being fully human. In conservative religion, they're better at being animals than they are being human. Number eight, you laugh at polytheists, but you have no problem believing in a triune God. There is a history of a relationship between polytheism and Christianity. The pagan roots inspire what they, as religion is called, the Holy Trinity. So laughing at polytheists is also their subconscious way of laughing at themselves. They are subconscious polytheists who laugh at conscious polytheists. But there are a pantheon of gods in the world of religion. If you study Greek mythology, which also has a relationship with Christianity, then you understand that the Holy Spirit was not originally a part of the ministry of Jesus. Constantine and his religious sympathizers created the triune God concept. Jesus never declared himself to be the head of the church, but Constantine did. The titles Reverend, Pope, Presiding Prelate, Holy Father, Bishop, those titles is a result of the Constantinian hijacking, kidnapping of Christianity. It's the Roman captivity of the way. That's what Christianity was known as back in the day. The way, followers of the way. And some disciples of Jesus of Nazareth were concerned about the title Christian because they didn't want to be seen as being uppity or arrogant for calling themselves Christians. Because that word was used to mock people who followed a death penalty 
lawbreaker named Jesus. And so some felt that if I call myself that, am I mocking Jesus? If I brag, am I braggadocious about it? Look at how Christ-like I am and look at how holy I am. Some believers are concerned about calling themselves that. In fact, Christian back then was a derogatory terminology. It was a slur to be called that. So paganism and Christianity have a relationship. Let's go to number seven. Your face turns purple when you hear of the quote-unquote atrocities attributed to Allah, but you don't even flinch when hearing about how God slash Jehovah slaughtered all the babies of Egypt in quote-unquote exodus in order the elimination of entire ethnic groups in Joshua, including women, children, and trees. So God is anti-environmentalism, according to that passage. So God is an adult supremacist and a misogynist, according to this passage, and that God is into ethnic cleansing according to this passage and God is infanticidal according to this passage those are divine atrocities that they feel hey if you're God you it's okay for you to be a threat to human rights laws around the world. And if your God is okay to cause distress to the United Nations. If your God is okay for you to be the biggest nightmare to the United Nations Human Rights Council. But because they were in Egypt, so God must be racist because, well, according to the passage, he's racist because he's attacking all, he's murdering all the black and brown babies. So is God afraid of the browning of Egypt because it was already brown? He's like, no more browning. I can't. No more black babies. I can't with this. So didn't God have a tree of knowledge of good and evil, all these other trees? But once allegedly Adam and Eve ate the fruit, now I want to eliminate trees, but I'm going to make myself human and curse a fig tree. 
So the God of the Bible is totally desensitized to climate change according to these passages. So God is into femicide. Femicide is a hate crime broadly defined as the intentional killing of women or girls because they are female. So God is femicidal. So God is into pedicide, which is also known as child murder, child manslaughter, or child homicide, which is the homicide of an individual who is a minor. Mm. So God makes itself the enemy of nature to the point of trying to keep human beings from breathing in and out oxygen and carbon dioxide. Mm. Number six, you laugh at Hindu beliefs that that deify humans and Greek claims about God sleeping with women. But you have no problem believing that the Holy Spirit impregnated adolescent Mary, or should I say, preteen Mary, who then gave birth to a man God who got killed, came back to life, and descended into the sky. Let me address number six. So these giants. In the book of Genesis. Are known as the Nephilim. So. They were able to be like Brian from Family Guy. Find human women attractive and have intercourse with them. Wouldn't that have caused women difficulties with the human reproductive system? Since these are large and strong, mysterious beings. And wouldn't if they had a lot of miscarriages or If they had penises, was it 
too large and too strong? Did it cause sexual trauma wounds of the body? If it's large and strong, that means there could not have really been in any consent. And how come there's no evidence of large and strong beings as big as they were? Because they were up there with Goliath in height, slightly taller in some cases. And so, some, some people, you know, it's been guessed that they were angels. If so, how do you get otherworldly beings to have copulation with worldly beings of the flesh? None of this makes any fucking sense. And why have the Holy, why have God have an affair? They make it seem like Mary was completely cool with it all. So is God the side piece when it comes to the marriage of Mary and Joseph? Was God the illicit male lover of Mary? But to impregnate someone that is a preteen There's an element of rape culture for me. And... Jesus's quote-unquote pureness was predicated on not being born the natural way. So is he really pure if his pureness is conditional? Even if he came the natural way, if he's, you know, supposed to be the son of God, it shouldn't matter how he came out. He's here. So why is his pureness, quote-unquote pureness, predicated on the fact that he didn't merge from a womb? If it's son of, if you're supposed to be the son of God, there's no such thing as well. I'm sinless only because my father made my one of my fathers made my mother pregnant. If you really are what you say you are. 
your pureness will always stay intact. It's like the truth. No matter how many times people try to destroy the truth, the truth is so irrefutable that it survives itself. And then to have Mary watch her son die and Joseph was nowhere to be found. Why wait until the cross to go, okay, one of you disciples got to care for my mama. And why not make a will before you even get to the cross? If you know you care to be to, be, to die on the cross, make all the provisions legally for your mom to be taken care of that way. She's not wondering at the time of your death watching you die. Well, who's going to take care of me? You should have already made that the thing to do. Make sure before you die, if you can help it, set up your will. So that would have been slightly less stress for Jesus on the cross and slightly way less stress for Mary watching her son be tortured on a cross. And then when it came back to life, I have not seen any evidence of of witnesses saying, hey, we saw him. Besides, most people back then were illiterate, so how could they have recorded their witnesses? They could not. And then some people, like I read this commentary in the book of Luke, where there were many eyewitnesses who wrote about him. Where are their writings? Who are the names of these eyewitnesses? I'm not still not seeing any evidence. And then it says it then ascended into the sky. But how do you go to hell and not burn in it? If there's supposed to be a hell. Then going to the sky. What happened in hell? If you truly are the Son of God, why visit your enemy your so-called enemies? eternal being barbecued mansion and then when it comes to the sky if you're omnipresent you don't need to return quote-unquote, back to the Father. If you're everywhere, you never left, so there really is no second coming because you're everywhere all the time. So it's redundant to come back because you're here. You never truly left. So Mary had to watch her son get crown of thorns shoved down and beaten and hung on a cross. But Jesus didn't 
snap his fingers for his mom to experience all the trained professional therapy wisdom that she would need for that type of pain. Number five, you're willing to spend your life looking for little loopholes in the scientifically established age of Earth. A few billion years. But you find nothing wrong with believing dates recorded by Bronze Age tribesmen sitting in their tents and guessing that Earth is a few generations old. That makes me think, before I comment on that, I see why child marriage is wrongly justified by child marriage advocates because of Mary being a preteen when she got pregnant. And I can see why pedophile advocacy groups can look at the story of Mary and get excited that a preteen was carrying an unseen male forces baby. Mm. And that's for number five. They they conflate true faith as being anti-science. That was the case then Egypt would have not prospered in the arts and the sciences and the mathematics of the ancient era. Religion teaches people to pretend that doubts don't exist. That research shouldn't be done and that studious reading is felonious in and of itself so It's obvious that a lot of people would be flat earth deniers. And rightfully so. But a lot of religious people are flat earth supporters. I think that 
I know that Genesis is wrong when it says the earth is about 6,000 years old. If you're a Bible writer, you should have certainty based upon scientific open evidence. And so they know that evolution is true and that creationism is false. They want to loophole facts, but they suck at it. They want to loophole evidence, but they suck at it. They want to loophole research and logic and reading, but they suck at it. That to me shows that they love being both uneducated and miseducated. So truly well-educated people who can easily destroy their losing delusions. They are profoundly afraid number four you believe that the entire population of this planet with the exception of those who share your beliefs though excluding those in all rival sects will spend eternity in an infinite hell of suffering yet consider your religion most quote unquote tolerant and loving so Every denomination, all religions, they all condemn each other to each other's hells. For example, if you choose to be a Christian, you'll burn in the Muslim's version of hell. If you're Muslim, you're born born into the Christian's version of hell. They fight over who has the keys to heaven, who will be our in-groups, who will be our out-groups. And those religions fight over each and every verse in the Bible. Because the Bible, sure enough, does confuse them. And so why make temporal eternal and eternal based on temporal? That makes no sense. And what about the age of accountability being disputed? How is someone exactly old enough to go to hell? And then, why create an everlasting death penalty 
the people that you've been taught to see as other, worthy of otherism. So to be comfortable with billions of people in hell That is why I'm doubtful and skeptical of the existence of hell. Why can't fire people who have a reasonable struggle with evil and suffering in this world? Why tell them why not tell them? In fact, the biblical God should have told them and that should not have made, quote unquote, God's life hard or difficult. And that's why... um, I recognize that the concept of hell when it comes to non-believers and people of the other religions, they don't call them non-believers too because if you're not a Christian, then you don't believe. And why is the term non-believers applied to (laughs) some people, but People who don't practice Christianity are non-believers of it. And what I read in the Bible likely favors temporal, purgatorial, corrective, remedial, and purgative hell not the eternal one and so they're intolerant and hateful is what number four means and they live their lives with massive paranoia griping their spirits. Okay, let's go to number three. While modern science, history, geology, biology, and physics have failed to convince you otherwise, some idiot rolling around on the floor speaking in quote-unquote tongues may be all the evidence you need to quote-unquote prove Christianity. My statement would be that they're not, they're afraid to test their beliefs. They're afraid to test the veracity of their beliefs because deep down they're undercover non-believers 
because it is better to be a Noah than to be a believer. Because being a believer, you're guessing God. Being a knower is somebody who's certain about God. So they're hard on themselves, which means that just lets me know how absolutely terrified they are to know that the concept of God is more of a question than an answer. More unfilled blanks than filled blanks. More unanswered questions than answered questions. And they are terrified of all those things. And there's no scientific evidence that Speaking in tongues is of legitimacy. I say this. Yeah, people in the parking lot in church who go around claiming they're blessed and highly favored, but they curse you out with their tongues. As if they have not been religiously potty trained. In other words, learning how to have etiquette in church. Don't get me wrong, that's becoming more and more of the tragic reality. So, they are confirmation bias suffering, the abuser profile type of people. Faith should be evident. Right? If I really feel like, well, I got proof Christianity, what they call faith, once it's true, then it starts becoming a faith. And starts turning into into a knowledge based system, actually. Number two, E defines zero point zero one percent as a high success rate when it comes to answered prayers. You consider that to be evidence that prayer works and you think that the remaining 99.99% failure was simply the will of God. So God is the more failure to them whenever God tells them no. 
God didn't say you were going to suffer all the time. That's a traumatic exaggeration. You can't be Christian and comfortable all the goddamn time either. So they have their ways of sticking it to God because they can't stand the fact that God didn't call them to focus on heaven according to their theology. God called them to be present and mindful of this life right now instead of stressing over about a world you're not fully certain about called heaven, allegedly called heaven. So religion is riddled with logical fallacies, especially when we try to prove that God is the logical fallacies will come out. They use when it comes to arguing and debating people. And they use it as a way to to hide their insecurities instead of resolving them. And it says, number one, you actually know a lot less than many atheists and agnostics do about the Bible, Christianity, and church history, but still call yourself a Christian. So how can you defend a book you don't read? And non-believers have more of what they would call a Christ-like spirit than the believers. It just shows me that in the church world, when it comes to God, they're more takers than givers. And there is no reciprocal relationship with God. They're anti-intellectualism. And they are anti-healthy thinking for yourself. That's what the tongue's saying. I gotta revisit that. So how do you just know the language that you're in, speaking at the moment, But that's not true, because when you're asked to repeat it, you don't. So the speaking in tongues is scientifically inaccurate. And they want, quote-unquote, their alleged God to do their bidding at their beck and call. They like having... They want to start a relationship with God, which means they're comfortable not having a relationship with God. And now you are understanding more of the reasons why I don't believe anything religion tells me and now you're more understanding of the reason why I am a humanist Unitarian Universalist 
and you're also understanding more of the reasons why I'm an agnostic and a universalist. There's more I have to say, and I'm going to say it. So as you already know, and I'm going to say it again, I am a humanist Unitarian Universalist. I experience a home in Unitarian Universalism. I reject conservative theological supernatural frameworks for creating meaning or morality according to their definitions, denotations, and connotations. I put my whole personhood in in the reality of compassionate love as well as the centrality of empathy. I experience substantive living within this world that is so much into materialism with a profound respect for the intricate web of interdependence and interrelationship that is apparent on earth. I share a commitment to learn and grow in an innerly, beautifully diverse community. And as a humanist Unitarian Universalist, I value the natural human desires and human needs for beloved and accepting communities. As well as a purpose worth living for. I experience habits of mind that resonate with our common humanity and a shared mortality that is not morbid about mortality. And I value opportunities to work with other warm-hearted, right-minded people to do good and greater good in the world and to help one another attain the greatest possible fulfillment in life. I always know that reason is a gift to our world. And I do affirm the findings of science. I take the intellect seriously. 
I know deeply that the majority of people in life is on a search for truth and meaning in this life. So two of the six primary sources of inspiration and wisdom in Unitarian Universalism for me are words and deeds of prophetic people which challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love, and humanist teachings which counsel us to heed the guidance of reason and the results of science and warn us against idolatries of the mind and spirit. So since the early 20th century, humanism like mine has been an influential part of our continually evolving lifestyles. And for me, I live a non-dogmatic existence. So as a humanist Unitarian Universalist, I honor the diverse paths that we Unitarian Universalists, we each travel. And I celebrate, support, and challenge my fellow Unitarian Universalists, and they do all those things with to me as we continue on these journeys. So, I agree with the Reverend Dr. William F. Schultz, human rights activist and presidency of the Unitarian Universalist UU Service Committee. I would love to be a part of that, by the way. Rights of our humanistic values. I know that human beings are responsible for the future. That history is in our hands, not those of a human rights violating, human rights abusing God or... a fate that is inexorable, impossible to stop or prevent. I know that life's positivities are available to everyone, not just those who can recite a certain Catechism. And I know that those positivities of life are made manifest to us not just in the extraordinary or one of a kind, but in the simple pleasures of the everyday. I am pro-science, I am pro-reason, and I am pro-evolution. I know there is no one right answer when it comes to convictions, and we don't let that stop us from taking action for a better world. I help build a community that welcomes us and myself in our wholeness, cherishes our doubts, and invites our ongoing search for truth. Our universe from the smallest particles of the galaxies beyond our galaxy fills us with profound wonder. Why life exists and for what purpose, humans have struggled to answer that question for millennia. In a day and age when so much is revealed to us by science, 
I know that I have redefined the concepts, the meanings, the definitions, denotations, and connotations of all religious language. And you know how I've done that? I insert human rights, equal rights, equity rights, civil and political rights, economic, social, and cultural rights alongside racial and environmental justices, including gender and sexual diversity justice, into all of those words. Any definition in any word, any definition of any word that is all about eternal fiery exclusivity, meaning the in-groups and out-groups of the faiths, I reject all of what those words mean. I take out all the religious meanings of those words and I put universality and oneness within those words. And so, yes, I am an agnostic and universalist, meaning the religious concepts of deities and Christ figures and supernatural beings and the otherworldly, I reject them all because they're all about devaluing and degrading the human rights of people that are not of the faiths that they practice. And so I do not mind those words as long as I put secular meanings to those words. But I do mind those words when those words are about it's okay to discriminate against people who aren't the faith that is practiced by the community that you're a part of. Possible for me to know and to believe any deity or any Christ figure of conservative theology. And it is impossible for me to accept any existence of any malevolent supernatural beings. of conservative theology. And it is impossible for me to accept any otherworldly or even benevolent 
supernatural beings of conservative theology. And I must say that everything can, every claim and tenet and practices and rituals of conservative theology I reject. And the reason why I say all these things is because conservative theology is about portraying supernaturalism and the natural world and all the beings of this world as beings worthy of having your human rights under attack in life if you don't practice the faith of the communities around you, around us. And so your human rights don't matter when you're alive. And your human rights don't even matter when you die if you're not of the faith of the communities that were around. And so what I don't, I, I don't mind supernaturalism, the otherworldly, miracles, supernatural beings, or messianic figures or deities. If, as long as science can validate their existences and if those words including all religious beliefs are able to be validated by science too and all those words and beliefs as long as they are free of temporal and external human rights violations and abuses of people then I don't mind those con I don't mind those words as long as the concepts are inclusive more importantly hospitably belonging of people that don't practice that same faith and as for the concept of hell um the Bible more than likely is talking about a restored, making hell restorative and short-lived. And more, more than likely the Bible could be talking about um, soul death where you're soul just ceases to exist if the word soul is correct to use i'm not sure that's just the one that most people understand and i feel that um i don't know what life is like outside of this one or if there is one but These concepts 
my conservative theology, it tends to be exclusionary. Shutting out people and things and situations that mean no harm and mean well, but they're not of the said faith. So conservative theology is all about being exclusionist in life and death, and I cannot accept those things. But if we can see the inner beauty of all people that may not be like us, that may truly be worthwhile, which it is. I know in my heart that there are billions of ways to be what people call Christ-likeness. I know in my heart that there are multiple ways to be what people call divinity. I think about the fact that there are billions of ways to be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, faithful, generous, gentle, self-controlled, modest, and charitable. There's billions of ways to be wise, of clarity, of discernment, of justice, of of uprightness, and there are billions of ways to be a positive, good human being. And that's the conclusion that I that is restful in my heart to me. Um, I think the issue that people have is that they feel that there's one way to be what people would say being godlike I would say there's more there's billions of ways to be what people call Christ consciousness God consciousness godlike as well I think about upon the fact that to want to exterminate people because they don't share your religious beliefs 
that is treating non-believers and unbelievers as disposable, discarded rubbish in a dumpster, which I find to be appalling and repugnant. And I'm very grateful to have these understandings in my soul, if that's the right word to use. And my last statement before I conclude this episode is about The fact that I know that we are responsible for what we do and become our lives in our own hands. I know that we have the power within ourselves to realize the best we are capable of as human beings. I know that we should gain insight from many sources in all cultures and there are many Uh, religious texts and teachings that can instruct us about how to live as long as it is free of world domination and tribalistic elitism Um, showing love to all humans is a worthy goal Immortality is found in the examples we set and the work we do. We can take responsibility for our own lives and accomplish marvelous things. Our bodies and our ideas cannot be owned by anyone except ourselves. And we should never think of ourselves as weak. There are also many other books that teach us about love. And so some people just say the Bible, Mike, but there are other philosophies and ideologies that talk about their versions of love, not just theologies. And yes, I am into the, and I'm just into, um, I embrace mysteries, uncertainties, doubts, skepticism, unfilled blanks, unanswered questions, unexplainable. The unexplainable and the gray areas, the shades of gray, the contradictions, the complexities, the 
duplexities, the the fogs, the the mucky murdy the murky muddied waters and the cloudiness of life so my break my one month break about talk my one month break which means um I won't be talking about religion for a month. Starts right now. And as I can honestly say that there are multiple ways to be hellish, demonic, devilish heavenly and purgatorial as people of faith would say I acknowledge those those things and um, I want to conclude This is the best way for me to conclude. I am for the inherent worth and dignity of every person. I am for justice, equity, and compassion, human relations. I have, I value the acceptance of one another, encouragement to uh, inner growth. I am for a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. I am for the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process within our society at large. And just us as the entire universalists. I am for the goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all and for respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. I value the words and deeds of prophetic people which challenges to confront powers and and structures of evil with justice, compassion, transforming power of love. I am for the direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of our inner lives and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. I am for any teachings that cause us to respond to empathetic love by loving our neighbors as ourselves. I am for wisdom, which inspires us in our ethical and in our lives. I am for humanist teachings, which counsel us to heed the guidance of reason and results of science and warn us against ideologies of the mind and spirit. I am for earth-centered traditions teachings, which celebrate the profoundly important circle of life, instruct us to live in harmony with the rhythms of nature.
When we read scripture, whether it's the Bible, the Dhammapada, or the Tao Te Ching, we interpret it as a product of its time and its place, not to be interpreted narrowly or oppressively. Scripture is never the only word or the final word. From the beginning, we have trust in the human capacity to use reason and draw conclusions about religion. Each of us ultimately chooses what is sacred to us and how we define sacred is for ourselves. While Unitarianism and Universalism both have roots in the Protestant Christian tradition, where the Bible is a sacred text, we now look to additional sources for moral inspiration. We celebrate the inner insights of the world's religious recognizing wisdom in many scriptures. Um, you know, um, those sources tend to talk about, you know, we look for... We should be the source, of, the biggest source of inner beauty should be ourselves. And, uh, and, Of course, there's more that I really want to say, and I'm about to And so, I just want to say that um, it has been a joy to expand my consciousness and my subconsciousness because so many people don't want to understand or pretend not to understand that that there is greater good, not just good in people that think live and love like you, but more importantly, there's greater good and good in people who don't think like you, don't live like you, don't love, love like you. So as human beings, we're obsessed over who thinks like us, lives like us, and loves like us. But what if the concept that they call God is saying, I am best positively demonstrating people who don't think like you, live like you, and love like you what if I am experienced the most and people don't think like you live like you love like you what if that concept called God is saying that and the religionists are always missing out on 
that.